0: Hi, welcome Back to Excited, episode 197. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuleman. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Fuleman? I am not too bad. How about yourself? I am excited about regular season hockey for the first time in a while. This is a strange feeling. It really is. I mean, (laughs) we talk about this a lot, and I think nothing really exhibits, like, the, I don't know, the the inadequacy of the NHL regular season, especially in this year for a Leafs fan, than the fact that, like for the last three months or whatever, it's been like, okay, like, let's, let's, let's hope the Leafs play well. And then everything just depends on how they're going to look uh, for most likely seven games in April or May. But, like, now we have something to think about. Um, we have something to, to look at and something to analyze. And that is because the Leafs have made a trade, as I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast is aware of by now.
1: Yes, it was a big trade. And Kyle Dubas sort of helped and hurt us. In terms mm-hmm. of podcast planning. Because we did talk about Ryan O'Reilly as a big trade candidate last episode. We were both, I think, pretty keen on him. Um, mm-hmm. I was positive. Arvin was even more positive. Um, so at least we got that down. Um, that said, this week we were going to do other sort of lesser trade candidates. You know, ones that weren't maybe top of the pile.
0: And, 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 and ones that would be harder to pull off in some ways. Because the, the, almost all of these guys had, uh, that we were going to talk about had uh, extra term on them.
1: Yeah, so um, with one or two exceptions, they were all bulkier or in some way a little bit messier to acquire, and also maybe less of a home run acquisition than, say, Timo Meyer or Ryan O'Reilly. And now it's kind of ambiguous. What are they going to do? They still could do something. So we are still going to use some of our material that we had planned. But a wrench has been thrown into the works by the Ryan O'Reilly trade Mm -hmm. in the best possible way because the Leafs got a good player. So, why don't I start by saying what happened, and we can start talking about it. Sounds good. Uh, I am indebted to The Athletic for laying this out so neatly, so I am just reading from them. Uh, the Maple Leafs get Ryan O'Reilly, 50% of whose salary is retained by the St. Louis Blues from once he came, and 25% is retained by the Minnesota Wild, who are just here to, you know, have fun and pick up a pick. The Blues got prospect Mikhail Abramov and... Uh, AHL slash NHL tweener Adam Gaudette. Uh Toronto's first round selection in 2023 Ottawa's third round selection in 2023 That was the Matt Murray pick, I believe It was Yeah, and Toronto's second round selection in 2024 The Wild got the Maple Leafs fourth round selection in 2025 for their services in minimizing Ryan O'Reilly's salary This is a big trade, needless to say um, and, you know, name recognition being what it is It's the Ryan O'Reilly trade, and that is who it's about. Uh, The guy who won the Conn Smythe a couple of Mm -hmm. years back, as well as the Selkie, as well as the Stanley Cup for the St. Louis Blues. Um, This is a pretty exciting thing. Now, if we were getting that guy, um, the price would have been even higher. The Blues would have been even less likely to trade him. Right. He's a bit older now.
0: Yes. Um, And we should also mention that we've picked up Noel Achari in this deal as well. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, I apologize. Uh, I probably should have emphasized that more. Nolichari and Josh Pillar. I have no Josh Pillar takes.
0: No, we are not. going to talk about him again. Yeah, I, he was mentioned once in Dubas's press conference to basically just say that we're gonna, we being the Leafs, are gonna scout him and see if <laughs> they are if he's worth giving an ELC to in the summer.
1: <laughs> but just a, like after we acquire him in a trade, we should scout <laughs> <Yeah>. that guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it might have just Well, actually he he doesn't even have an ELC yet, so he's not even an, an SPC thing it's just like his signing rights I suppose. Yeah, I mean um he he's he's a 21 year old playing in the in the uh in major junior I believe
1: which no, is suggestive that can't of be like possible. okay. Can it? Well, anyway, I we think not ever- have <laughs> it doesn't I think matter.
0: he's an overager. I, maybe I should have looked that up. But I, I, no, you know what? The, you're right. You're
1: right. Yeah, he's, he's on like, the he's, same team as yeah. uh,
0: Brandon Lisowski, who we drafted in like the seventh round last year.
1: Yeah, he plays in the WHL. So we've all learned something in the last minute about Josh Pilar,
0: <laughs> yeah. including me. Um, and, no, and yeah, he, well, he's also uh, Pilar also had like some some health scares in the last like year. I think his um his progress has been stalled by by injury or or, or poor health. So I mean, we'll see what happens. Unlikely he features any time in the near future for the Leafs, so this is already too much Josh Pilar talk, frankly.
1: Yeah, I will say one more thing. I used to make jokes this way about Pierre Engvall. Mm. So, who knows? However, for this episode, we're focused on Ryan O'Reilly and a little bit on Nolachari. Yes. Um, yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, so we, we talked about O'Reilly um, it, uh, our, in our most recent pod, and the long and short of it was kind of as what, what you said, Fulman. Like, it's... The 2019 version of Ryan O'Reilly was an absolutely, no doubt about it, top line center. He you know, has done a lot over the course of his recent career to help his team win hockey games, primarily through his, his play driving and through his um, immense defensive skill, mm-hmm. also through his playmaking. And uh, as a fringe thing, he also has very high um, penalty differentials. Like he, he, he doesn't take very many penalties at all. And he, he does this all against you know, top end competition. Uh, in, in tough parts of the lineup, clearly trusted in all situations by his coaches over his career. Um, really can't say enough good things about the player peak Ryan O'Reilly was. He was a truly excellent player. Now, he has come down a little bit since his peak. Mm-hmm. Um, this season, most estimates that I've seen place his play-driving ability as good, not no longer absolutely elite world-class, but still, you know, quite solid. He was still getting played in uh, very tough minutes he was not being sheltered in any reasonable way by the Blues um, but there you know when you when you're uh, when you start from you know Selkie winner one of the best play drivers in the league still good represents actually pretty large step down that doesn't mean he can't help us he, he is still good right and that, that's the benefit of, of starting from such a high um, a high point when you begin your decline phase as you know a, a 31, 32 year old player
1: yeah, and you can also quite reasonably hope, and I think we all do, that he's going to start looking better playing for a Toronto Maple Leafs team that is better than the current version of the St. Louis Blues.
0: Right, and there, there's some reason to think that stylistically um, O'Reilly is a better fit for what the Leafs have become than what the Blues have become over the past few years. I mean, I think we often think of peak Blues, and correctly, as this very dominant, heavy, psycho focused team, and I think that's what they were uh, at their best, and when, when they won their cup, they started it. They, they famously had a, a coaching change in the middle of their, their cup-winning cup season, um, which probably injected a bit more of like a, a rush offense and like a, you know, some more offensive flair into their system. Um, but their base for the past you know, few years, like the Tarasenko-O'Reilly Blues, were this team that would just grind you down.
1: Yes, and I watched them do that to earlier versions of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And yeah, with regularity. Yeah, some of the more demoralizing regular season losses the Leafs just suffered were against the Blues team um, that met that description. Um, yeah, so.
0: And in recent years, the Blues have become um, much less of that type of team. They're a team that is a lo- very highly focused on pre-shot passing. Um, their traditional... Stats when we look at like you know shot attempts or shot share and expected goals don't look great. Um, they've often outperformed that due to being a more rush based counter attack heavy offense with really good passers. O'Reilly is one of those good passers, but he is significantly less well suited for a counter attack style because the biggest weakness in his game, and has been discussed you know relentlessly over the course of his career, is that he is not a great skater.
1: Yeah, um, especially in a north south way. Mm-hmm. Um, strong on his skates. And that certainly comes up a lot on the cycle, but he's not fast. And I think that's what makes the choice that Sheldon Keefe started with so interesting um, last night against the Montreal Canadiens. Now, Keefe has said, and I think very sensibly, we're going to try him in different roles. Um, We're going to do different things, try different combinations of the lineup. One of the constellations about the league choosing to make the regular season less meaningful with this dumbass playoff format is that you have more time to try stuff out because the Leafs are extremely likely to be playing Tampa Bay Round 1. They'd love to have home ice, but this is the time to try different roles for different players. O'Reilly has played center for the vast majority of his career. He played center last night, but he pushed John Tavares, who has played center for the vast majority of his career, to the left wing. And the combination of John Tavares, Ryan O'Reilly, Mitch Marner is like the cycle line... Uh, to dream about Mm -hmm. in terms of very strong possession players who can keep it going in the offensive zone ad infinitum. They put the Habs in a spin cycle on their first shift. Now, the Habs are, you know, garbage, but still.
0: It it is worth noting that, like, they also, that line also, I think, didn't have the best game throughout. Like, there was flashes of dominance. That first shift was maybe one of their best. Mm -hmm. Um, But they also, you know, didn't have a huge amount of success uh, throughout the rest of the game. They, they were on for a goal against. They were a little bit liable to be counterattacked by the Habs, and that's sort of a worry that you have. You know, the Leafs, we've talked a lot about how the Leafs are not an especially fast team now. And, you know, that's very much that grouping of O'Reilly, Taveras, and Marner is certainly not a particularly fast grouping outside of Marner. Marner's Mar- the fastest guy there, and he's more of a east-west fast than a north-south fast.
1: Yes, again, begun the cycle. I think regular listeners of this podcast will know, one, because you probably watch a lot of Leafs, but two, because we've been saying this for a while. The Leafs have this uh, popular image as this sort of fast, up-tempo team, and they have moved away from that by steps year after year Mm -hmm. um, under Sheldon Keefe. Like, the team that featured Kasperi Kapanen and Andreas Janssen in prominent roles in the top nine was a faster north-south team. Um, this version of the Leafs doesn't have a ton of guys who are really zippy north-south skaters. Nylander and Engvall. Yeah, I think a lot like, of heavy cycle guys.
0: Yeah, I feel like Nylander, those are the exact two I was going to mention of, like, those are the two guys where it's like, okay, they're a real vertical
1: threat. hmm Right. Um, yeah, sorry, you're going to say.
0: No, so, so this is another step in that direction of the Leafs being a very, very cycle-focused team. Um, O'Reilly is excellent on the cycle. His um, his calling card, people have talked about it, players have talked about it, and I think analysts have talked about it as well, is his stick. His stick makes up for his feet,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Um, we, we talked about how his, his movement is not amazing by NHL player standards, but he has phenomenal sense of where to be, phenomenal discipline in where he positions himself, and amazing hand-eye coordination to be able to constantly disrupt plays with his stick and get the puck, off the wall, both in an offensive sense and a defensive sense,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Uh, he, he has a little bit of that Matthews trait of like there's a a crowd of people and suddenly Ryan O'Reilly's on the outside of it with the puck,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? And, and that's a very, very helpful thing in the offensive zone in the cycle because, you know, yeah. one of the issues with the cycle is almost by definition, you have the puck in a not very dangerous area. So guys who can transition that from a not dangerous area to a dangerous area are very, very valuable. O'Reilly can do that offensively. And, um, you know, so much chatters about his you know defensive acumen which is very fair and very accurate he won a selkie of course Mm -hmm. uh but you know he, he is a very very talented offensive player as well you actually can't win a selkie without being good enough offensively as well
1: yeah that's been well established over the years um yeah and i think you know people are excited about this and rightly he's a really good player even if he's a little bit aged um i think um and I'm thinking of Jake Beliefs on Twitter, I have to admit. Some people are, might be annoyed at us for not being as totally rapturous top to bottom about this trade. That I we don't think, think it's a good trade.
0: This is like as positive as we've ever been about any deal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we had like one really positive episode in our history, and it was the John DeVaris episode. Where yeah. We were like, straight up, this is a home run. Um, this is good, though. Um, I will say, you talk about price. The Leafs did not get this cheaply. No. And I've been saying I want them to go all in. Lots of us have been saying like, look, this is the time. No better time than now. You have to make this team good. They did. They operated on that principle. And there is some rumor that O'Reilly and Achari might stay. Um, But right now they're both rentals. So yeah, the Leafs have invested a considerable portion of their future into this trade. And if the Leafs go out in round one again, which is very possible, this is going to sting. But you have to sometimes put your chips in the middle of the table. And this is a move to do that. Um, So, you know, O'Reilly is a very exciting player. I saw a tweet, by the way. Someone was, like, making fun of Leaf fans for being like, oh, Leaf fans will say, like, they have the best depth in the league with, like, Ted Hamburger and all these made-up players. And I'm like, the Leafs have Austin Matthews, who won the heart. John DeVaris, who is a first overall pick who's had a fringe Hall of Fame career, and Ryan O'Reilly, who won the Con Smite, as their top three-ish centers, depending on how they arranged them. That's fucking bananas. Like, say what you will, sometimes you just have to remember that's a lot of talent coming at you.
0: The Leafs' forward death really is pretty astonishing now. Um, so I think a big part of this trade, and we'll touch on Achari here as well, mm-hmm. uh, is that Sheldon Keefe did not want to play... Pontus Holmberg, or Joey Anderson against Tampa.
1: Very possibly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right? And, and, and that's nothing against Holmberg and Anderson. I like them both. Um, but Holmberg has really struggled on the faceoff dot, and the coaches over-centralize on that.
2: hmm
0: Right? And you can see a situation where Keith gets just, like, fr- like, spooked by the nightmare scenario of Holmberg ices the puck against Tampa in Tampa, and, you know, Kucherov and Point come out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? And they're like, okay, well, that's a minute that we're just going to spend in our, own, in our own zone, basically. Right. Um, and, you know, not to say that like, they've over-centralized on that to their detriment here, but I think a big, a big benefit of this deal for the Leafs is, like, the Leafs are basically not going to play any bad NHL forward. The, the worst NHL forward the Leafs will regularly play is Zach Aston-Reese, who is a useful situational forward. Yeah. And, everyone else, and I would say Aston-Reese is, like, easily the worst Leafs forward at this point, who, who will regularly play.
1: Yeah, um, certainly with the lineup healthy. Uh, yeah, we, yeah.
0: We alluded to like how oh, the second line wasn't, uh, which I'm calling the Teferas line, um, wasn't amazing against Montreal. And that's, that's, you know, for lots of explicable reasons. I'm not, like, freaked out about that or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, like, what won the Leafs the game was um, how dominant their depth was.
2: Right.
0: Right? Like, their depth was just dummying Montreal's depth. And yes, that's Montreal's depth. Right, and we're not going to get a much better answer when we face Chicago tonight, because like again, Chicago is not a great team. But you know, the thing that is kind of notable there is like the Leafs' fourth line had Alex Kerfoot on it, mm-hmm. right? It had it had Achari on it, it had Aston or it had Aston Reese on it. Like that's so much better than the average fourth line.
1: Yeah, and like people have trouble seeing Alex Kerfoot in like a clear light, I think, because he's like. A 5 6 7 8 kind of forward. Like at the end of your second line or like decent on your third line. The Leafs being able to play him where they currently do is pretty remarkable. And they have, yeah, a decent chance to really clobber some teams based on forward depth again. And we talked about the team being top heavy, you know, after a period where the Leafs were very deep at forward. They became top heavier with time. This trade now puts them in a better position because O'Reilly and Achari are both moving guys down by their presence. Mm -hmm. Um, There is one little thing, which is that we're still playing David Kampf as the third line center. I like David Kampf. Um, I think in the ideal world, he's like the best fourth line center in the league. Um, He's a bit offensively underqualified to be a three C. And so if you want to play Ryan O'Reilly at three C there's an argument to do that on that basis, which is, you know, it gives you more of a, a two-way threat there.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really mind that. I mean, I think there, we're, we're going to go back and forth on whether we see O'Reilly as, the, as, you know, playing on a line with either Taveras or Matthews or, you know, anchoring a third line uh, in himself. I'm fine with anything as long as he's, like, played enough, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if, if he's played on the third line um I'm fine with that but I still want to find him shifts outside of that. Right. Right. Just just on the order of like he is probably our fifth best forward now.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. So let's let's use him like our fifth best forward. As as it relates to camp on the third line. I mean, I I think I largely agree with you. He he there he does not provide a lot of offense as as we know. You know, Conf, that that's not what he's here for. Mm-hmm. Um it it helps in some ways that like so the, the third line with the pairing of Comp and Engvall actually together has just been good. Yeah. Right? they they played well with Yarncroak, they've played well with Kerfoot. Yeah. Um, and it sort of helps that, you know, Engvall has a bit of that Kasperi Kapanen in him where it's like, oh, it kind of doesn't matter who his linemates are. He's just going to go and do his thing.
1: Yeah, he could just be a one man rush. And that's like a set level of offense that you get just from having him,
0: mm-hmm. if
1: no one else required. So, yeah, I, and I think that that's positive. And if the Leafs really want to, There are now a lot of permutations of the lineup where they basically give Matthews and or Tavares very easy usage. Mm -hmm. Like, they can really put those guys in the best possible position. Um, Now, that goes up to a point because, as we've said with matchups, the risk is always that you start underplaying your stars by chasing matchups too hard. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, like, the Leafs now have a lot of options for Shell and Keith to play with. Um, with a players as versatile as Ryan O'Reilly, that's what you get. Um, And that's one of the best arguments for this trade is that you can do all sorts of stuff. Um, And if something isn't working, you can try something else.
0: It also provides a bit more injury insurance as well. Like obviously, you know, if if Austin Matthews or John Tavares goes down, the Leafs' chances of making a very deep run go down significantly. Mm -hmm. But if they have to sit for like a game or two, you are not like, okay, well, that's an automatic loss or like that's an automatic, we are like 25% to win this game now
1: yeah like it gives you a fighting chance and you know we've we been talking so some people who are skeptical about this trade so not us but they say okay you have to go through tampa and boston well one to win the cup you have to go through good teams that's just how it is but one of the things that boston has going for it is that they have a lot of really good forwards well now the leafs again, are in that conversation with anybody, I think. Like, if you name the top five forwards on the Leafs and the top five forwards on Tampa or Boston, I don't think the Leafs should be afraid of any of them, as good as they are. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, granted, Boston has, God help me, Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak, Taylor Hall, David Krejci, which is impressive as fuck. But Mm -hmm. still, like, the Leafs can look at that and say, okay, but we've got some really great players ourselves. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, The other thing on, on the note of like, okay, is this the right time for the Leafs? I mean, it's not getting any easier in the future, right? Like the, the, Leafs, realistic win, like the Leafs' realistic window has to be this year and next year. We have nothing guaranteed after that. Matthews could leave. Nylander could leave. Mm-hmm. Tavares will, will be presumably worse than he is now.
1: Yeah. And right? you know, some like, people are saying this out of hope that this won't work out because they're kind of Leaf haters. But some people are saying this out of fear. Leafs that you know like oh my god this is going to happen again and they're kind of bracing for the impact and you know maybe it will but you can't really hope to make a team that's going to be definitely the best regular season team in the league like just in a yeah. macro team building perspective you
2: know
0: you, you can't just live with like the sword of Democles over your head and like use that as an excuse to never do anything
1: yeah like at a certain point you just got to say okay we're pretty close let's do it yeah. um and you know the most famous example in Toronto was the Toronto Raptors doing that by acquiring Kawhi Leonard um, not saying this trade is analogous because mm-hmm. somebody is going to say that, and it's not. There's too many problems with that analogy, but in the sense of you have to be aggressive when you have a good team to put yourself at the top, sure. Yeah. Um,
0: the other thing worth noting, so a lot has been made of O'Reilly's weaker year this year, um, and we talked about that last time. And the basic, <laughs> what it amounts to essentially is that his teammates have been very, very bad at finishing his chances,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and his goaltending has been absolutely, you know, terrible when, when he's on the ice, right? So, like, those things don't really, really bother me. Um, his play driving, as we said, has taken a step back from, from where it was before. I think, it, one, it's still good. Two, there is some realistic hope that it will. There will be a better style fit that allows him to use his skills um, to a greater um, to, to greater effect in Toronto system than St. Louis's system, just based on a, on the stylistic matchup between his skills and what the Leafs like to do compared to what St. Louis likes to do. So, I think those are those are reasonable things uh, to 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 bank on. I think you know, in his first game, he looked more or less as advertised. Um, certainly, he's not going to be like a complete panacea for the things that the Leafs are not great at. Like, you know, Ryan O'Reilly can get hemmed in his own zone too. Mm-hmm. And he, he is susceptible to counterattacks too. And those are, those are two issues that the Leafs, that the Leafs have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, you know, there's, there's enough possibility here and there's enough reasonable situations that we can put him in that I think we can find one that will... That will work i mean like he was playing with josh levo for a large chunk of this year for god's sake because he, he's going to be in a better situation here
1: that's selkie contender josh levo according to evolving wild <laughs> i love honestly i love the twins and i razzed them about that as soon as i saw it but it just made me laugh having seen josh levo i'm a little skeptical of that but god bless him um yeah so i think certainly on balance this is an exciting trade does it fix everything no You know, people say, well, there are still questions. Yeah, there are still questions about everybody, except the Boston Bruins, where the only question is, will they, you know, have any more years after this one? Um, But yeah, I like it. As a move to kind of go all in, it makes a lot of sense. I said I would have preferred Timo Meyer. I stand by that because Timo Meyer is a fantastic player. But if you want to say, here's why I prefer Ryan O'Reilly, you can point to the versatility and the playoff experience and those are legitimate well, factors.
0: And, and based on the reporting, it's like the Leafs were interested in Meyer, but were just like, okay, we are going to get outgunned on this. Like, frankly, the Leafs cannot um, put together the same sort of package that either the Devils or the Hurricanes could.
1: Yeah. And, you know, there's some debate now about like, okay, will they sign him if they don't get an extension, which I believe is New Jersey's concern. But mm-hmm. like, there's a match there around like, where essentially New Jersey gives up a package built around Alexander Holtz. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to make a whole lot of sense. Um, Carolina also should be going super all-in, I think. Um, and they want a game-breaker to replace Max Pacioretty, who uh, came back and was re-injured almost immediately. So, yeah, I, I think there's certainly an argument that they weren't going to be able to bid up in that, that competition. And if you really want to believe in the utility of you know the the toronto kid or the southern ontario kid comes home um ryan o'reilly contributes to that you know i I don't know if that has any psychological value but i'm sure a lot of these guys would love to be part of the team that finally broke the drought
0: right and i think there's probably some benefit although the level is unknowable to us of getting a guy into your program in advance of him becoming a free agent mm-hmm. and you can make like a, maybe a more compelling case to to come back uh for, for him to come back um LeBron said in his in his post trade piece that like the Leafs were expected to be a team that would like talk to O'Reilly in the offseason anyways right and if you know Dubas made the commercial, you, you want to live with someone before you get married um <laughs> okay. if you can as the Leafs show O'Reilly a, a good time in some sense be like okay you know here's our first-class facilities or first-class everything. Here's the room. You know, everyone, everyone loves you. I mean, it's – and also probably is, is somewhat uh, honoring to, to O'Reilly to have your captain, John Tavares, who is, you know, as you said, had a fringe Hall of Fame career, be like, yes, I will immediately move over to a, wing, to a position that I have not played since I was, like, 12. Like, yeah. John, John Tavares had one of the best pre-NHL careers of anyone ever. He has never not been the guy on his team.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, insofar as he ever hasn't been, it's because yeah. he was playing behind Austin Matthews when he was winning, like, the Hart Trophy. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And definitely there's, um, there's something to be said, by the way, for Tavares that he does that. And no one has the least doubt that he's going to do that without complaint. Like, mm-hmm. it's just his way is just to be the professional about this. Sometimes that's really nice to have because you yes. can see that causing some friction with some other personalities in the, in the NHL. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, I think that that's all very exciting. Um, it's an interesting choice to have O'Reilly beat the center over Tavares.
0: Um, yeah, interestingly, um, T- Tavares actually has better face-off numbers over the past few years than O'Reilly. Tavares has become one of the best face-off guys in the league.
1: Yes. And, you know, that's the kind of thing where a lot of it is just practice and diligence and... Yeah, I'm doing it over and over and maybe a little bit getting veteran benefit for the reps not throwing you out
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but uh, yeah it it is interesting to me that um, he's actually surpassed O'Reilly that because that's one of O'Reilly's assets the Leafs as a whole are a good face-off team
0: yeah and, and certainly O'Reilly is the better defensive player both by reputation and I think in like on on, on the ice as well the, I think the, the difference between wing and center in the Leafs' offensive system, maybe in all NHL systems, but especially in the Leafs' system, is, like, minimal.
1: Yeah, right? a lot of it is just F1, F2, F3. Yeah, you know? especially
0: because, like, neither O'Reilly nor Tavares are huge puck-carrying threats, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're, they're not really the transition guys on their team or on their lines. Like, Marner does a lot of that work for them. And, you know, this is actually an area where having Riley play with them it's sort of helpful because Riley takes on a larger burden than most defensemen in offensive zone entries. Sometimes too, it's th- his team's detriment, <laughs> but he, you know, he does
1: that. Yeah. I I've, I've actually been thinking just two points on that. Um, one, I didn't notice last night on, um, a couple of rushes. I actually did see John Devaros carrying up the middle Yeah. for all the world. Like he was still playing center and you know, like that's fine. Um, as long as everyone knows where they're supposed to go. And if it's a first man in sort of thing, that's totally okay. Yeah. Um, Playing them with Riley Brody is interesting. You know, Riley spent a lot of time with Matthews over the last few years. But if your concern about this line is that they are going to get rushed against when the cycle breaks down, TJ Brody is the guy you want behind them.
0: But arguably Morgan Riley is not that. the guy you want Morgan in front Riley's of them. Morgan Riley
1: is not the guy you want behind them. <laughs> so it's a bit of a pro con. Um, yes.
0: Um, yeah. it's, it, it, that, that, that's going to be a challenge. I mean, the Leafs in general, especially in the second period against the Habs, there were a lot of odd band rushes against. And part of this is like the Leafs are, they have to make sure they're not sloppy, mm-hmm. right? Because sloppy with the Leafs offensive system means immediately you're just giving up chances. And some of this is just randomness and like a puck bounces the right way or the wrong way, depending mm-hmm. on your perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Leafs just do not have that much recovery speed.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. Um, especially, I mean, Riley has some recovery speed, but he's often the guy who is deep and like has either like, gambled and it's not worked out or someone hasn't adequately covered for him so he's like almost always out of the play when these rushes take place when he's on the ice right kind of by by design in some ways
1: yeah and i like i really do not want to make riley the whipping boy because Mm -hmm. it is going to be tempting to do that um but his physical gifts have probably allowed him to get away with stuff that one will still burn him sometimes and two will increasingly not be possible to get away with as he gets older but that's tomorrow's problem uh yeah um i'm very interested to see like you know different orientations of this forward roster it doesn't sound like the leafs are looking at making any more forward ads it wouldn't be insane to me if they did but it doesn't sound like
0: it we barely talked about achari here but like he he in some ways kind of reduces the need for other forward ads because like, is just a competent depth guy. He can, another guy who could take face-offs and, um, and play center pretty adequately has, you know, basically average impacts in terms of play driving, is known as like a good four-checker, as an energy guy. Um, you know, he's had a couple of shooting heaters. He, surprisingly, he's had a 20-goal season, actually. Yeah. Um, so he can chip in a little bit of offense, but, you know, it's certainly not his, his calling card. I, I, would, I don't think he'll be out of the lineup Basically, I think he's going to play consistently. Um,
1: yeah. the rest also, the way he's a right-hand shot and yes. having a right-handed face-off guy in the depth of your lineup is something that coaches just love. Mm-hmm. Um, even well, especially, it,
0: yeah. Oh, especially since the top three Leafs uh, centers are all lefties.
1: Yes, and I know you know Nylander still ends up taking a certain number of draws from mm-hmm. you know even as a, a winger just because he is a right shot, but. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a big part of the, the appeal for Achari too. But yeah, he's, yeah, he seems like just a really solid fourth-line guy. And if you've been kind of wincing looking at Joey Anderson play, um, then this relieves that anxiety for you.
0: Yeah, and I, I, think, like, I think he would not be out of place on most third lines in the league, honestly.
1: Yeah, like a very competent player. Um, mm-hmm. If you have a knock on this lineup as currently constituted I do think it's that the bottom six is still a little bit like there's not a huge offensive threat there and you can say most third lines don't have that and so it's only an issue if I'm looking at really solid it, really elite third lines
0: it is it is more defensively tilted I mean I guess if, if the fourth line ends up being something like Kerfoot and Achari and then presumably Aston Reese. I mean, Aston Reese has no offense, but Kerfoot and Achari have like, they're pretty reasonable offensive players, especially for fourth liners. Kerfoot had 50 points last year.
1: That's true. Right. Yeah. And even, even granted that was mostly his line mates, it's like still, he, you know, you don't mm-hmm. get 50 points entirely by accident.
0: Yes. So I, I, I think that's, um, I, I agree with you. Going back, I think Achari has reduced the need for like a depth forward mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. It's worth mentioning the cap situation that the Leafs are in right now. They have like 4 point something million in their LTIR pool, but that is not including Matt Murray currently. Right. When Matt Murray becomes reactivated, um, the Leafs will basically like drain the pool to the extent of Matt Murray's salary. They get some relief by sending presumably Joe Wall down. I think um, Hardiv on PPP did the math on this and said that basically as is, if the Leafs like reactivated Murray tomorrow and sent a Wall down, they would have about 500 k in, LTIR space, or in the, yeah, LTI space.
1: Yeah, and um, if they're willing to run a little bit short, uh, I believe they can free up a little bit of space. Um, they, I know they are. If you're using LTI, which the Leafs are committed to because of Jake Muzzin, um, you have to go dollar in, dollar out. Mm-hmm. So you don't get um, the advantage of it being prorated to the latter point of the year. Um, that said, as we just saw with a rally, if you are willing to pay a certain pick premium, you can get double retention in a lot of mm-hmm. cases. And then you're looking at guys who cost a quarter what their sticker price is.
0: Right. Now, The other thing is, um, we just talked about, about Kerfoot, like, dollar and dollar out in this case is going to be hard for the Leafs without giving up some salary the other way.
1: Yeah. And uh, that's sort of what maybe leads kind of neatly into our next segment that was yes. supposed to be the whole episode Um where we talk about other players, the Leafs might acquire mm-hmm. as a general rule. At this point, I think if you're adding something to the Leafs lineup, you are probably sending somebody out because the Leafs now have like eight playable NHL defensemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not including Jake Muzzin in that. You have a lot of, decent at least nhl forwards i'm not saying you can't improve on that but i'm saying now if you do that you are displacing someone who is an nhl player at least
0: yes the the bar is higher now um you know if you trade kerfoot and assets well you're giving up kerfoot who is like not worth nothing in my opinion at least like in the abstract Mm -hmm. so like the guy who comes in to replace him you've only gotten better by the delta between that player and kerfoot
1: right and I think that's a big thing. A lot of the chatter is, okay, they're probably done at forward. And at goaltending, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of um, room to operate, really. Like, you have Samsonov, who now looks like the starter. By the way, I I had this old mea culpa on an episode where I said, okay, it looks like Matt Murray's the, the one starter. I guess I was wrong. And mm-hmm. immediately he got injured again. And now I'm like, maybe I wasn't that wrong. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean the the Leafs' goaltending situation is still a little, a little yeah. worrisome. I mean, it, we've gotten good goaltending this season, but yeah. no one sane is taking our goaltending situation over either Tampa's or Boston's.
1: No, and that's just the reality. And you know, I have to admit, if Omar is this good for Boston, oh, they they're are winning the cup. One yeah. wrong short of unbeatable. And the only thing I can say is, goaltending is b- bananas in the course of any series. He may stop being that good for the whole time or for half the time or for just enough of the time for them to lose because goaltending is bananas. But yeah, like that's just how it is. You know, we don't have uh, someone as good as Ulmark or Vasilevsky. Um, But yeah, anyway, so you can look at and say, okay, the goaltending is some combination of guys that are already here. The forwards are what they are but maybe they need someone on defense and there are still a lot of uh, sort of older school minded fans who wish we had a prime Jake Muzzin back. Um, And Muzzin seems like he's probably done. Um, And so to do that, you are probably displacing Rasmus Sandin from the roster. And that's something that I think is important to keep in mind with a lot of these acquisitions is like, is this guy notably better than Rasmus Sandin? Lots mm-hmm. of players are, but the ones that get discussed here, I think it's less clear.
0: And I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here, but it's like, people are like, oh, you know, I'm, not, I'm worried about playing Raspa Sandin in the playoffs. I'm like, why? He's good. <laughs> like, yeah, he's he's going he's to look shitty at some point against Tampa or against Boston. Everyone does. Yeah. Victor Hedman's going to be on for the goal against. Yeah, like, like at some point, right? Like being a defenseman is just us." thankless job in some respects at some point you're picking the puck out of the back of your net mm-hmm. but like go go down the rosters of playoff teams of really good teams mm-hmm. and tell me how many of their third pairing defensemen you're like oh I trust that guy so much more than Rasmus Sandin
1: yeah and like I bet there are people who would do it for Boston because they're Boston but like do you really think that you know Rasmus Sandin is that far below I don't know Jacob Zaboral like, <laughs> it's just, I'm not, again, I'm not saying you can't upgrade on Rasmus Sandin. I'm saying be sure you are actually doing that if you make a yeah. well,
0: Sandin is like third or second on the Leafs in XG RAPM this year. Yeah. Te- like the team has been doing very well when he's on the ice. Mm-hmm. And yes, some of that is he, he, especially recently, has been more sheltered since the Leafs have recovered from their defensive injuries. But we saw him play pretty well in a role higher up in the lineup for part of the season too, right? And he like, also, this... like,
1: he makes plays. Like I yeah. saw a pass last night and I wish I had noted down the circumstances, but he, he was basically staring down a couple of halves, and he found a seam to get a forward into the zone behind them. And I was like, that's not a pass that every defenseman can make, including <laughs> defensemen who are higher rep than Rasmus Sandin. So anyway, that's my spiel. But like, if you are replacing him, Get someone who you're sure is better. Um and now it's time for me to talk about someone I'm not sure is better. <laughs> <laughs> so are we ready to segue? Yes, I think yeah. so. Okay, so Jake McCabe has been much discussed. Um I don't know if that's because people think he's related to Brian McCabe and they remember him fondly. To my knowledge he's not. Um but McCabe is a left defenseman, but he's capable of playing right defense. Uh he's twenty nine. He has two years after this one at $4 million per. Uh, Chicago is rumored to be willing to retain on him, which is interesting. You don't see a ton of retention on deals with two years to go. Um, That would obviously increase the price that you pay to get him, because you're paying them for that. Um, He has a 17 no-trade clause. Allegedly, and this is rumor reported by Frank Saravalli, the only Canadian team not... Excluded by his trade clause is Toronto. So I guess he doesn't dislike us enough to come here, if that's true. Um, Let's start with the good. McCabe looks like a decent defensive defenseman, despite playing some reasonably tough minutes for a team that I would describe as passively suicidal. Mm -hmm. Chicago doesn't want to be here anymore, and the players on the team often don't either. Um, If you look at... The stats for their defense group. It's like a lot of the time it's McCabe kind of leading the saddest group of numbers you've ever seen. Where it's like, mm-hmm. oh wow, he only has like a forty-four percent, you know, xG or whatever. But that's the best they've got. <laughs> so um, yeah. Um, now that I've said that, Chicago's going to nuke us five-one tonight or something. But uh, yeah, like you have to get into the question of okay, how do I evaluate a player who looks good? doing miserable work on a bad team um he has genuinely impressive expected goals against like they're good yeah Um, and he looked decent in buffalo another team that stank while he was there
0: yeah he's never been on a good team frankly which is not his fault um but like it's 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 worth knowing Like there's there's some it can be hard to evaluate guys on on bad teams um you know you, you look at standard like the unfancy like raw statistics of just like, okay, how does this how does the team perform when this guy's on versus off? Mm-hmm. And you're comparing him to a much lower base, so it's it's easier to outperform, you know, when a lot of your team is not really NHL quality. Um RIPM models and like isolated threat and like regression based models attempt to account for that, but it, it's not it's not completely possible to, right? Um, although I think they do a, a pretty admirable job. McCabe looks solid by those metrics. Yeah. Um but not like not outstanding. As I as, as just said, uh, Grin and Sandin actually look phenomenal by those, by those metrics, um, in yeah. part because the Leafs have basically always been good when they're on the ice. With Grin especially, that includes time where he's been like, higher up in the lineup. Right? He played with uh, Giordano yesterday. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. And uh, again, I think that gets into the issue of, okay, you're bumping someone out for him. Um, as a general rule with all of these team-related stats, t- to put it in a metaphor that I always find helps me, it's easier to look tall when everyone around you is lying on the floor. And that is basically what's happening in Chicago this year. Um, He's playing a lot of minutes with Seth Jones and Seth Jones has been much debated. We've talked about him on this podcast in the context of uh, the trade that brought him to Chicago and Jones is sort of well thought of, or at least he was when he got to Chicago um, as sort of a do it all number one defenseman stats. People have always been a little bit more skeptical Obviously, now his stats don't look great, but you can still say, okay, there's a decent chance that Seth Jones is more carrying that pair than Jake McCabe is. I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just saying that McCabe is probably partnered with, like, one of the few remaining good players on Chicago. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, um, lots of clouding factors there. Uh, I think people like the idea of him as, like, a nice, slow and steady defensive type you can imagine him balancing out a pairing with one of uh, the Swedish players, you know, Sandy or Lily grin, if you want, he can kill penalties again. You know, he's the kind of guy people envision as a playoff performer, despite the fact he has zero NHL playoff games in his career. Cause again, he's been playing for Buffalo and Chicago. Um, and if you get him, it's not a rental, which is nice. You know, you you secure the position a little bit going forward. The Leafs don't have a huge need. To do that right now, just like for next season, they have Riley, Brody, Giordano, Timmins, Sandy, and Liljegren locked up. Which maybe is not the defense group of your dreams, but is six NHL defensemen without a doubt, I think. So, if you're doing this, you probably have to be very confident in your scouting that he's better defensively than, than the guys you already have. And that he's going to look a lot better on a new team. I don't want to put too much faith in my own eye test. When the Leafs played Chicago, I did not see anything that made me want to acquire Jake McCabe.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, He looked pretty bad (laughs) when I saw him.
0: I think the big thing is like, okay, well, what pairing are you acquiring him for? Like what role are you acquiring him for?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Right. Um, Do you want him to play essentially as like the second left defenseman, right? Like supplant Giordano, let Giordano play more, a more limited role, and then make, like exchange the two when necessary. Go with like the hot hand, like have have two, a, a relatively egalitarian second and third pair. Mm-hmm. That's one option. Um, do you want him to move over to the right side, which he is capable of doing, as, as we mentioned, and pair with Giordano, essentially replacing Hall or, or pushing Liljegren down or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think the only way it makes sense to do this is if you think he is going to be a significant impact on a on a, a pairing that you do not have to think about sheltering at all. Like, if, if, if the answer is, oh, I think he'll both, he'll he'll help us in the situations where we have to play our third pair against someone tough, it's like, well, that, is he that much better than Sandine at that? Is he that much better than Lilligren? If Lilligren ends up being on the third pair in the playoffs with Hall supplanting him uh, with, with Giordano, I think we agree that Giordano is going to be the second most played left defenseman in the playoffs, right? Like, when push comes to shove, I think it's been shown that Keith trusts him. Yeah right um so i don't know like it, i i'm i'm not entirely convinced i think McCabe is a fine player i'm not entirely convinced he would be worth the assets that it would take to acquire him um and like i don't i don't think he necessarily provides so much over the guys that we currently have there that it makes the asset play worth it right like so, I, if, you, if you could tell me yeah, just airdrop McCabe onto this team then yes i do it but then the other thing worth noting is like So he's two more years after this one, at four million. Um, So retention is going to be harder, slash more expensive. You're asking the team to do it for two years. Yeah. And as we said, this is dollar in, dollar out. So like, who do you move out? Like, you can dump Kerfoot and then like take um, McCabe into into space with like some some other cap machinations. Do we want to do that? Like,
1: yeah. Or if you think he's a great replacement for Justin Hall, send Justin Hall the other way. Right. Um, and again, like. I would have to be more confident that I than I am that he's a big upgrade on Justin Hall.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: you know, like, is it possible he's better than him? Sure, but if I'm gonna make that kind of move, I want to be more certain of it. You know, that's one of the things about Ryan O'Reilly is like, I was not in any doubt that he was a significant upgrade mm-hmm. on who we were playing. Like that, just it wasn't even a question.
0: Yeah, the, the the question with O'Reilly was like, okay, like, how. How close is he to what he was before, and that like if the like that will determine if the price ends up being like too much or or, or not enough or or whatever or anything in between.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but even taking his stats here at face value, he's like clearly a better than average forward. It's yeah. just a question of like, well, you know, you're you're going to be paying a lot. And the Leafs did pay a lot. How close to the elite Ryan O'Reilly do you actually get? And there's some reason to think that you know it's it's hopefully fairly close to it, um, or, or as close as we can, we can expect. But, like, the player itself is not, it's not really a question whether he helps the Leafs by, like, a notable amount. Mm-hmm. With McCabe, I think there's, like, a genuine question. Like, is he, is he better at all than Justin Hall? Yeah. Pro- probably, but I don't think by, like, a drastic amount. Yeah. Hall, by the way, is, like, I feel like our opinion of Hall has, like, stayed constant for a long time, and we've just been on various sides of an argument as, like, the mood around him has shifted.
1: Yeah, because we think he's a 4 5, and like the swing is like maybe he's like a 2 3. Maybe he should be sent into space. You know, like it just, and right yeah. now I think it's at a bit of a low ebb again. And he did yeah, scratch for Timmons. But.
0: Cam Charon had an article in The Athletic about, about Hall using like a lot of his, his track microstats. And basically, the crux of it is like Hall is fine. Right, like he, he, he is trusted by the coaches. His the results of with him defensively are solid. They're not spectacular. There are things that he is not great at. He's probably not as good as he was like a couple of years ago. His processing speed is a little bit slower. He's not probably as athletic as he used to be. Yeah. Um, but you know he he's, he's been perfectly adequate there. I'm not convinced McCabe. When you account for you know all the levels of uncertainty, like that that exists with McCabe, I'm not convinced that he will obviously supplant Hall. Right. And I'm certainly not convinced he will be a trusted over Jordano or like significantly better than Sandine in a lefty role. So Yeah.
1: And like that's what I wanna be if I'm giving up what little draft capital we still have mm-hmm. for a decent prospect. And, you know, Khalub has talked about how we know our guys. Um, I did wonder how Mikhail Abramov felt about that when he talked about, like, yeah, we kept our prospects. And it's like, well, what about me? You sent me away.
0: I mean, I, I, also, I understand what Dubas was saying, but yeah. also what he was saying is, like, literally the definition of endowment bias.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like, you know, we'd rather give up the, the pick. You know, the guys that we like, the guys that we've drafted, we like them, they're in our program. We, we, we have a good sense of what they are. Yeah. We think they're good. And it's like, well, yes, that is, like, that is endowment bias. That is the thing that I have is better than I think other people feel it's valued. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> I, I'm not saying he's wrong to think that way. It's a very natural way to think. And and this goes back to the point that we've raised many times, like that Tolsky quote of, you know, teams just by virtue of acquiring a player, it's a signal that they were higher on that player than the rest of the league was. Right. Right. So like, yes, the players that the Leafs have drafted, they had presumably higher on their board than all the teams ahead of them did because otherwise, you know, those like other teams would have drafted those players.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it is interesting to say, you know, like, if you wanted to rephrase that, you could say I'm higher on the things I've already done than the things I'm going to do in the future. Because like (laughs) if you have the draft picks and you assume you haven't gotten fired, which is open to questions like, yeah, I would be using those draft picks.
0: Yeah. That's Um, a a good point. I didn't think about it that way.
1: (laughs) Anyway. Um, however, that's fine. Um, it's just, if you're going to do this, like, like if we were doing what Dubas did a couple years ago when he got Jake Muzzin, um, you do that in a heartbeat now. Like a Jake Muzzin caliber player who right. clearly slots into your top four. It's like then you do that and you send Justin Hall the other way with a suitcase pack for him. But I don't think Jake McCabe is close to a Jake Muzzin caliber player. And it's a little hard to judge because defensemen on bad teams are hard to judge. Mm-hmm. We've struggled with that before, but I'm not convinced there's anything there that
0: I, I would agree. Sure. I think Yeah. I think if if you like gone to my head, I think McCabe is like a better defenseman than um, than Hall, and, like, mm-hmm. it would be more trusted than Sandine, which is different from being better than Sandine. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure McCabe would be as good in the role that Sandine is in yeah. um, than, than Sandine is, but I could see him being more trusted. I just don't think the value add is, like, that high mm-hmm. co- compared to, like, what we'd have to give up. And, again, it's, like, we would have to give up a roster player and yeah. more assets. Like, it's just, it, it's a lot.
1: Yeah, and so I don't think you you come out ahead. Um, do you want to talk about Gavrikov now, because that kind of segues naturally?
0: Yeah, and I think Gavrikov is is another another thing. I, and I mean to to put the conclusion up front, I think there's like a zero percent chance at least get Gavrikov because Columbus no. is going to ask a lot for for him, ask for a lot for him, and we almost certainly can't really win that bidding war. Like r- reportedly, it started. Columbus's ask was like a first, a third, and uh, a prospect of some kind. And it's like, okay, well, we could trade next year's first, but that's, next year's first is already earmarked for Sam Reinhardt. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like, it, 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 it's a lot. Gavrikov, yeah. I am, like, more confident about than McCabe. Maybe this is just, like, bias. I've seen more of Gavrikov. We actually studied him a fair bit um, before the Columbus series uh, in the bubble. Because that was like I think the first year where it was really like, hey, this guy's quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, Gavrikov to give you know a bit of insight to people who don't know, um, is reportedly a, you know smart, safe, steadying presence, uh, defense first, doesn't really overcomplicate uh, play with the puck, which is code for he is not that great with the puck, um, but he also recognizes that he is not that great with the puck. Uh, very physical, has had playoff success to some degree before, obviously, you know, to the extent that anyone who's played for Columbus has had playoff success. And I don't mean that as a slight, uh, just like, you know, <laughs> like he's, he's, he's done something is, in the yeah. playoffs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like you could, you can see Gavrikov being on this team and improving it uh, significantly. I just don't think the f- cost is going to be what something the Leafs can, can handle realistically. And again, um this would require assets going the other way or salary going the other way. We can't fit Gabrikov straight up into our into our cap structure.
1: Now he is only at 2.8 million and he is a rental. Mm-hmm. So if you think that you really do want him, that is more doable financially. Yeah, than you like, came at four.
0: like you could get like a, a very like a small amount of retention and then just send Hall back the other way or something. Yeah. And like um, that, that gets it done, but like the thing the other thing is in this situation where the Leafs are um, acquiring a player, the player we are giving up, despite them, it's going to be either Hall or Kerfoot, presumably. Mm. Uh, despite that player being good mm-hmm. and like, a useful player, they will be treated as a cap dump. Yeah. They will not be treated as, oh, that's Alex Kerfoot. He's a 50-point forward uh, as a rental. I, I would pay a third-round pick for him. He's not going to be treated as such. Yeah. Because the team knows, oh, you, you know, this acquisition is contingent on you dumping this player.
1: Yeah, and again, even if we if we decide okay, we're going to shop Kerfoot or Hall to a third party, mm-hmm. um, they say, hey, why are you doing that? Yeah, and the same logic applies. Um, also, Gavrikov is a, a left defenseman, mm-hmm. typically. So if you get him, you are almost certainly playing him. Is over is he a left? i
0: I think he's a right defenseman. Gavrikov. I might be totally off on that. I had him listed as a righty, but I could have just made a mistake.
1: Uh, well, he's listed as the lefty on cap friendly, and he's a left shot. But
0: yeah, you I, you are you are probably correct. I'm just gonna double check. I probably just like made a typo.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I mean, there is some capacity to flip sides for almost any defense. But he it's is. Just, yeah. He is. He's a left move. shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, like I don't know if I if I want to go down that route. Again, it's like if you're making me drop Rasmus Sandin from the lineup. Show me someone who I'm sure is way better than Rasmus Sandin, And Gavrikov probably is. But I don't know if it's by enough that I want to be bothered with it. And I definitely don't like the idea of having to give up a premium asset price to do it. Because like, we saw how insane the price for Ben Sherrod got. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sherrod is like, like straight up bad. Yeah. <laughs> so...
0: Yeah, So sorry, so my, my apologies on the lefty, righty thing. Totally just made a mistake in my notes on that. Um, but yeah, with, with Gavrikov, like, he's also going to get the bell of the ball shine, mm-hmm. right? Like he, he is probably the best or at least most well-known defender on the market. Yeah. So every team that wants a defenseman is going to at least kick the tires on him. Like, I think the demand will be pretty high.
1: Yeah, you would think. And the, yeah, the defense market is not as strong as the forward market this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't have the prestige names at the top. We've already seen Horvat and O'Reilly move. And Tarasenko. Uh, and Tarasenko. And Tarasenko, I think, was declining, but has huge name wreck and used to be phenomenal. And Horvat and O'Reilly, I think, are clearly better forwards than any defenseman on the market that I've mm-hmm. heard. Um, so, yeah. Uh, like, you know, you can... I, I won't say you couldn't talk me into Gavrikov, but I would be, like, really annoying about it, and I would whine about it the whole time. So... Yeah. Dubas, do you want to hear an episode where I just whine for 50 minutes, like, more than usual? Because that's what you're, you're setting up if you do this. I, um, so,
0: Dreger said that he doesn't think the Leafs are done yet. Yeah. But I just think it's really, really hard to make a good case for a player now. Like, if, if you're going to get a player, I think what it has to be, basically, is... um a guy with extra term. So I think Gavrikov's like, a, like, McCabe actually makes more sense to me than Gavrikov of like, do, do your off-season shopping now.
1: There's an argument for that.
0: Right. Um, um, so like you, you give up, you give up Kerfoot, you hopefully convince a team that like, or you, 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 get, you work a third team into it that actually just wants to acquire Kerfoot so you don't treat him t- entirely as a cap dump. You, you give Kerfoot for some assets, move those assets plus something else for like McCabe or someone similar. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Papetti, I was chatting with him, he floated uh, Nino Niederreiter who's on Nashville. Mm. Has a one-year four million after this season, um, and I guess so that that'd be like pretty interesting. Yeah, but like those are harder deals to get done.
1: Sure, and it's messier, um, and you can still say if you are really all in and you're willing to to kind of sell the farm now, um, you could still look at kind of second tier rentals. Mm. And you know, there is one that's been mentioned It's Max Domi, so I can. Going about him a bit if we're done. Yeah, Blackhawks. yeah.
0: That, that, I mean, God, I have zero interest in Max Domi.
1: Me neither, but he's been talked about and I went to the trouble of making notes about him, so we're all going to have to endure this now. Um, Max Domi plays with the Chicago Blackhawks, like Jake McCabe. He has played both left wing and center. Um, he always seems to bounce between the two, and he's been somewhat better at center for Chicago, sort of, but then it's like, how good. Are you really? Because every line on that team is getting destroyed. And it's sort of hard to separate the, you know, the wheat from the chaff there. Um, He would turn 28 the day before the trade deadline. He is on an expiring $3 million contract and you can probably get the Hawks to retain. Again, if you're willing to go the extra mile, you can make him really cheap. Um, So there is that. He has no trade protection. He is an asshole. Uh, He has 35 points in 51 games, including 14 goals, which was tied with Patrick Kane for the team lead at the time I did these notes, which was a few days ago. Um, You have to remember that Chicago sucks and that Domi is a prime pump and dump candidate. Mm -hmm. Like they clearly had this as at least a possibility when they signed him. He's getting a whole lot of power play uh, one time and his most common line mate this season has been Patrick Kane, um, who warts and all is still a talented offensive player just you know you have to be aware that if you're paying for those points that he's racked up he did it in a situation that you're probably not going to duplicate for him unless if you're the leafs you immediately slot him in as second line left wing now and move Ryan a to third line center
0: i would not want to do that
1: neither would i Um, he's just
0: so weak defensively
1: yeah that's the thing domi is a gifted playmaker um, he's usually been better on the wing, but he did have a bonkers 72-point season for Montreal in 1819. He's probably never going to do that again. But he's been brutal defensively pretty much his whole career. Um, he's kind of belligerent and, you know, he, I guess a bit provocative, especially to his own teammates. At times, it has seemed like. Um, I'm reading it a little bit here, but he's cycled through an awful lot of teams Mm -hmm. For this point in his career Like the next team that gets him will be his 6th And he's about to turn 28 Um, Yeah I don't Know That I would really want to have anything to do with this Even aside from the fact that I don't really like him Um, He's a flawed player For sure And you have to wonder what you're you're getting in there If the idea with O'Reilly was We might want to tighten up the second line Defensively Domi does not help you do that uh, mm-hmm. If you want to add some playmaking punch to the third line, maybe, but that would not be how the Leafs have oriented their bottom six up to now.
0: No, and it's also uh, similar to what we said with Engwall. Like the leaf offense on the Leafs bottom six kind of needs to be like independent of of other people. Like you don't want like a fa- a flashy passer there because like okay, well, great, I'm spending a lot of effort to set up David Camp for a shot. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and like we just don't
0: have a lot of shooting talent in the bottom six. Like, like the the goals that the bottom six are likely to score are going to be, you know, pretty ugly. I think, but generally speaking, um, there's no Spetsa there to take advantage of someone's really high IQ offensive plays.
1: Yeah, Um, let's say I try and devil's advocate for Max Domi for a minute here, just because we've spent most of the segment constantly raining on him. He is more talented, offensively, than. Probably most of the Leafs' bottom six right now, arguably all of them. Mm -hmm. Certainly he has a way higher career high in points than any of them have reached or are likely to reach. Um, Unless you count what Wayne Simmons did 10 years ago or whatever. Um, He is, you know, a decent player and there is a just get good players argument for him on that basis. The fit is kind of iffy. The price might be reasonable, but you also have to factor in that you're ponying up for a rental. Um, I don't see this as super realistic, but it's not impossible if the Leafs decided this was something they wanted to do. Um, I'll just say in passing, I mentioned Andreas Athanasiu as kind of a cheapy pickup. He is having a rough year. Um, He should be cheap. He makes the same amount as Domi, but he's been much less productive, so the asset price should be nothing. He's a fast, fast skater, has never been great defensively. So you would be trying to add a different element to the lineup. I don't think it's going to happen. I agree. Yeah. Um, I also talked about, in my notes, James Van Riemsdyk, who is much more liked in Toronto, <laughs> I think. Um, you know, we remember him fondly. And before Ryan O'Reilly, I would have said maybe because if you were getting him you probably are using him at second line left wing. Yeah. Um at this point that's unlikely. Also his AAV is 7 million, so you have to like really want him now. Right. I mean, it, it, I just you don't you need, you need a
0: double retention and someone else to go the other way. It's just it's it's too much for the player JVR is right now.
1: Yeah, and you know God bless him, but he is sort of in decline. Um so I won't uh, bother you with all the notes that I took on that because I don't see it as realistic.
0: Yeah. Um, some other guy, I mean, Sam Lafferty, another Chicago guy that we were thinking about, he would have been a depth player. I think Achari has kind of reduced the need for him. Um, mm-hmm. Lafferty is a, a center, kind of prime age. I mean, a difference between Lafferty and Achari is that Achari is a rental, whereas um, Lafferty will, is signed for next year at like $1.15 million. Mm-hmm. And he's like just a prototypical bottom six player, I think. Basically, if, if if the Leafs got him, it would have been like, okay, this is like doing free agent shopping a little bit early, getting our fourth line center for next year, a bit of David Kamp insurance as well, so that he can't, like, he and his agent can't be like, hey, you really need us, pay us three and a half million.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you really wanted the absolute, really optimistic spin on it, you would say, like, maybe he's like a Brandon Hagel light. Mm-hmm. Um that's so optimistic, it's probably not even worth mentioning, but Hagel uh, has been obscenely productive on a very cheap contract for Tampa this year, and you know what, mea culpa, I was a little bit iffy on the trade when it happened, but Tampa knows what they're doing. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, anyway, I think, you know, they say, like, the Leafs aren't done yet, maybe. I don't see a lot of moves that are obvious to make now. Well,
0: yeah. I think Dubis himself said like, okay, I mean, he's not, Dubis isn't going to say, all right, cool, we're done. You know, don't call yeah. me. Right? Yeah. Like, it, it's never in your best interest to say that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's also some element of like, you know, the guys, the insiders work for media companies. The media companies have trade deadline shows, yeah. um, you know, saying, hey, the Leafs are going to do nothing. Probably not a great thing to say.
1: No, James Duthie would really like you to think that the Leafs might do something on the deadline.
0: Yeah. Um, nothing against uh,
1: Duffy; that's just his job.
0: Exactly. So a yep. couple other people I, I mentioned. So one thing I'm, I'm going to say, this is me tooting my own horn. Um, I made these notes like a few days ago. And uh, in my notes for Lafferty, I said, Noel Acharya might be worth it as a depth guy instead of Lafferty. Oh. Um, I didn't realize I gave Kyle Dubas access to our, our Google notes, but uh, <laughs> thanks for listening, Kyle
1: you got to watch the share option. It'll sneak up on it,
0: you. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other person I mentioned, I think he's going to be too far out of our price range now. Um, but Adam Henrique, I think he's a very underrated player. A very good player. Um, he, I haven't heard much buzz about him. I guess like, he's in Anaheim, so that's why.
1: Anaheim right, is but... like where you go in witness protection. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have to say, um, he does have, he's a year plus one though at 585. Like you you got to get him retained down, I think, if you touch that.
0: Yeah. Well, but, I mean, like, speaking of... I mean, people people didn't know where Ben Laden was before SEAL Team 6 final, but he was actually the second-line center on the Anaheim Ducks.
1: <laughs> they cut that scene from the theatrical release of Zero Dark Thirty, but I think it was really <laughs> important to the plot. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Henrik will get traded somewhere. I, I don't see why the Ducks would keep him. But... I mean, the,
1: the, the real question with the Ducks is what are we doing, and is there a god? Because yeah. I, th- I don't think the Ducks were serious about contending this year, but there's no way they thought they were going to be this awful. I think right. they thought they were going to make a little bit of a nudge up, um, and they've just been abysmally bad.
0: They- they've been really poor, and presumably they're going to sell Klingberg, but Klingberg's been terrible. <laughs> So,
1: yeah. And like, we, we looked at the, it was very clear. We were like, this is an obvious sell candidate. All they have to do is give him PP1. He has a rep. And it was like, unless he absolutely implodes, they can probably flip him for a pick. And now it's like, he has a big AAV and teams that are in LTIR have to care about that. And he's not a priority add now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. What I, assume, I assume they'll
0: about. still get something for him, but like.
1: Yeah, but like. A th- like, a third or a fourth?
0: Something like that. Like, it's not going to be a lot, I don't think. Yeah. Or And if it is a lot, I think a team is, like, diluting themselves a little bit.
1: Yeah, like, I think, and the truth is, if you're going towards the playoffs, you probably have your first unit power play defenseman already there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, um, I like how we just took some time out to make fun of the Anaheim Ducks just in passing. Yes. Um, yeah, so that was all I had in terms of notes on uh, upgrades.
0: Yeah, same, same as well. Did we have a bad take that we wanted to discuss? I feel like we did, but like I've forgotten it.
1: Yeah, you see, we're, all, we're so angry all the time. Um, yeah, You know what? I don't have anything written down, so I apologize to those of us who tune in. I,
0: I, I have one. I have oh. one, actually. That has that, come to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, I have possibly two. But one, one, did we do the rant about how people are saying, like the NHL rating stuff? Did we do that one?
1: Uh, I don't think we did that one.
0: Oh, okay. I remember... So you had this thing on there. Okay, you can do the rate, the ratings one. I have a different one, if you want.
1: You have to tell me what I was doing on the ratings one, and I'll well, remember, but...
0: Um, when, like, the news came out that the NHL ratings were down this year, and everyone's like, it's oh, because yeah. of this specific grievance. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> so someone would be like, it's because they're not talking enough about Dylan Strom's dogs.
1: <laughs> yes, okay, good. Um, I did talk about that. You see, this is what happens when we have a three-week gap between podcasts. Um... Yeah, so the NHL's ratings were down this year, and um, I think it was Sean Gentile at The Athletic actually did an article explaining, like, they're going head-to-head with um, NFL football.
0: Yeah, there's, like, more Sunday games or something, Exactly,
1: which, you know, it puts them in competition in a way that they weren't the previous season. And so you would expect the average on those broadcasts to be a little bit lighter. Um, It wasn't an apples-to-apples thing. But people saw the main headline and said, oh, down 22%, and... Immediately, everyone was like, it's my pet issue. And, you know, some of them are reasonable. Like, I don't like ads on the boards. Are they having a major viewership impact? I don't know.
0: I've got to be honest. I have not noticed any of the issues with the ads on the boards that people have said. I, I don't disagree that they exist. And I've seen some claims like yeah. it can trigger people's epilepsy, which is that's like, that's a, hu- that's a huge issue, obviously. Yeah. Um. But, like, in terms of a day-to-day annoyance, I, I haven't actually really noticed. I don't love them. I'm not, like – I mean, Gary Bettman's obviously full of shit when he's, like, fans have actually responded really well to these ads. <laughs> it's like, no one's, like, I, I, can't, I can't wait to see the transition from the home hardware ad to Rona.
1: Yeah, he said they're actually less intrusive than, like, set ads. And I'm, like, well, that doesn't make any sense. At all. <laughs> but he can just say, you know, he can say whatever he wants. He's not in the law.
0: A, a great discovery – I, this is a Lewis C.K. bit, unfortunately, but it's, it, it's actually true. But, like, it's kind of amazing when kids realize that you can just, like, lie about stuff and it just works. Yeah, And, like, a lot of the times when you get into... We tell kids, oh, you shouldn't lie. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when you get into, like, the adult world, you actually can just lie. And it's, like, not the right thing to do, but, like, there won't be any immediate consequence.
1: Yeah, like, there's this... <laughs> I, you know what? I actually experienced, like, a, a later version of that with law school, because in law school mm-hmm. they teach you the law. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just sort of, um, here's how things are supposed to work, and then you go and start doing law. Mm-hmm. And within about three seconds, you're like, oh, a lot of that was not what's happening. You know, um, so I, I think that that's uh, certainly applicable to Gary Detman's whole career. Um, but, yeah, Eddie, everyone has their, like, their thing that there sure is the reason for dropping ratings. But, one it's often just something they're feeling. And two, it's coming from someone who is usually still watching the games, so it doesn't apply. <laughs> it, it's like <laughs>
0: some, some of the most hardcore things ever where I, I saw some people complain, it's like, oh, well, you know, the NHL doesn't stagger start times. It's like, yes, the reason, <laughs> the reason they're doing worse in the ratings is because people would watch more <laughs> games if, they over, if like intermissions didn't overlap. Yeah. Which would somehow get counted in ratings in a way which like is not currently happening because these it, it makes zero sense when you evaluate that, like on any yeah. critical level. And um, like
1: the vast majority of fans are fans of one team,
0: yes. You I, know, I, I think I watch more hockey than like most hockey fans, and still above 50 percent of my above 60 or 70 percent of my hockey watching is our leaf games. There's just yeah. it's there's too much hockey to watch otherwise,
1: yeah. But by the way. Um, when people love to do that, they're like, oh, you haven't even watched this guy play or anything like that. I'm like, you haven't watched anyone fucking play <laughs> in ter- who aren't for your team on more than one or two nights a year, maybe a few more if they're in your division or if you're a professional scout, but like, you know, it reminds me of that David Staples bit where he claimed to have seen Howie Morenz play like 15 to 20 times and Marenz had like retired before Staples was born. Um, Anyway, I'm getting off track with bad takes, but uh, I saw a bunch of different theories as to why the ratings are dropping. And I think my personal favorite was that there's too much cycling in and out of bottom six players. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I cannot conceive that anyone cares about this except the family members of the guys who are getting healthy. (laughs) Like, it's almost certainly not that.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, that, that, <laughs> make, that makes zero, especially because, like, the, the <laughs> NHL is not really a load management league.
1: No, no.
0: Right, so, yeah, <laughs> anyway, that, the, and I think, like, they credit to, to Gentile and his article, because that was, like, an actual analysis of, yeah, like. he just of, answered like, the
1: question like an adult, which was yeah. great. Someone should have done that, but, yeah, anyway, it was just so funny, and there were so many tweets about it, mm. um, so it was really something to behold. Anyway, you had a bad take.
0: Yes. Um, So uh, this is, again, from a LeBron article. It is not a LeBron opinion. Um, We we make too much fun of Pierre LeBron's opinions. We're going to make fun of the opinions of the people he's reporting on now. (laughs) Um, So the Athletic likes to do these things, and I find them interesting. I think Craig Customs did them a lot, and now LeBron does it as well. Like, you know, after a trade or after a deal, just talk to other people in the league and just basically paraphrase or even almost directly quote, what do these people think about this deal? Mm -hmm. So uh, LeBron did that with the... um, with the O'Reilly trade, yep. and you know, the usual, there's the usual sort of, sort of things that come up, but um, he talks to a bunch of front office execs, and one of the front office execs has not watched the Leafs play in three years, because this, this is what it, they say, uh, this is front office exec number three, um, and I'm quoting directly from, from this article now, kind of goes against their up-tempo identity, but guess they feel his intangibles are worth it, face-offs, grit, playoff experience. They still don't have anyone to push back when other teams come after their top guys. It will be interesting to see how it plays out in the playoffs. Okay, we talked about this from the jump, right, about the Leafs' up-tempo identity. The Leafs, in terms of pace, I actually did the stats on this yesterday because I was so annoyed about this. Um, by shot attempts uh, in a game, for or against, the Leafs are uh, at the same pace at 5.5 as the Boston Bruins. Not incredibly up tempo. The Bruins are a little better defensively, but like the, the Leafs defensively are pretty good by, by basically all you know shot and goal metrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at expected goals pace, the Leafs are again middle of the pack, mm-hmm. right? They're like with a bunch of other teams who you would not consider up tempo. They're like there's like 0.04 expected goals per 60 more than against the uh, in a game uh for the Leafs. As there is like, for the Blues, who was no one's idea of, like, super up-tempo. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are, like, a, a counter-attack offense, but, like, no one's like, oh, those high-flying Blues <laughs> don't know any defense over there, right? Like, they, they just keep cheating for offense. Like right? <laughs> and it, it was pretty similar to, um, well, there's another, like, the Kings were, like, kind of similar, mm-hmm. right? Like, the Habs were in the same boat. Like, basically, it was, like, a hodgepodge of teams that are all pretty tightly congested. The Leafs are not really an up-tempo team. They're the opposite. The Leafs use possession as a defensive stranglehold. Yeah, Like, that, that's, that's how they play.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. Yeah.
0: So, anyways, the, this, this guy has, A, like not updated his opinion about the Leafs in a long time. Secondly, um, I, I, I cannot imagine how... The, or I, I can't imagine the Leafs' top... So two or three things about O'Reilly were specifically his intangibles and not like the tangible fact of him being a good hockey player.
1: Yeah. I mean, it helps a bit.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and Dubas has mentioned it, right? So I'm, I'm sure like the character is, is a thing. Yeah. But then reducing O'Reilly to face-offs, grit, and playoff experience <laughs> is like talking about Austin Matthews and being like, you know, face-offs, passing skating it's like well wait what, what about a, what you didn't mention a shot like that yeah. you're talking about austin matthews here you're not talking about a shot um o-
1: o'reilly won the selkie at a time when patrice bergeron existed yeah like right there that's kind of insane
0: and then the other thing grit is like second in this like bears beats battlestar galactica of a, <laughs> of a non-sequitur about O'Reilly. but then the next sentence is like they still don't have anyone to push back in the playoffs so you just
1: said he had grit yeah, like, <laughs> but okay, but that, yeah, and then it's like, okay, when we say someone's going to push back, do we mean like Ryan Reeves? Uh, do we mean someone like Kyle Clifford, who you might remember was playing in the first game against Tampa? And, and ch- got
0: suspended, or was that in a different series?
1: No, that was within about a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, like, it was literally in the first five minutes of the game. And beyond that, it's like, okay, Tom Wilson. Like, there aren't that many guys who can meet this standard. And I'm just curious. It's like, okay, who are you talking about who's doing this? Or is just, is, or is it just, this team has William Nylander on it, so they're wimps. Because, like, sometimes that's just, like, the vibes of them don't seem tough to me or whatever. Yeah.
0: Know. So, anyways, this this is... This, this, I remember putting this in the in the PPP Slack channel, and Katya's like, um, you know... Dubas needs to trade with this front office exec. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, this is the guy we track down and we deal with him.
0: Yeah. So, so anyways, that, 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 was, that was my that was my little bad take of, of the week. Okay. Um, okay, so I think that's basically everything for us. So, you can catch all of my influence work at pensionpadpuppets.com. We should also mention, actually, that uh, in the wake of SB Nation essentially defunding um, PPP and other hockey sites, uh, the folks at what was PPP are now going independent. Um, there is a, a GoFundMe that has you know smashed all expectations. Um, but of course, we're not saying no to more money if people want to provide it would help. It would help the team continue to to create content going forward. Um, and yeah, there'll be stuff to look out for them uh, soon. But you can catch all of mine, Fulman stuff there. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Fuleman. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll see you soon.